the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful uh, weekend. And... Um It's always uh, good uh, to be with you. Uh, This is uh, Let Us Reason, and I'm your host, Al Fadi. And uh, it's hard to believe it's uh, Christmas time already. And uh, this is, of course, the uh, start of our third season. So I always want to thank you for uh, your support, your prayers, and uh, your uh, wonderful comments that I always get about the show. Uh, Please continue to pray. And uh, consider also partnering with us uh, so that this show will continue uh, to be on air. Uh, Since it's Christmas time, I thought it would be appropriate really to bring uh, our Lord and Savior, since it's really a celebration of his birth, and make a kind of a comparison between the Islamic view on Christ and uh, the uh, Christian view, of course, on Christ. But uh, obviously, I would like to start at least um, for the next... uh, Uh, two weekends this week and next weekend, and uh, possibly even uh, uh, the Christmas Day as well, Uh, uh, the uh, uh, the Christmas night, I should say, Uh, want to specifically talk about who is Jesus in Islam and compare and contrast that, of course, with the uh, biblical story. So, uh, you know, Uh, If you go to the Gospels, um, all the four Gospels in the New Testament, uh, the Gospel uh, of uh, Matthew, Gospel of Mark, Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John, all of them, of course, are a report related to the story of our Lord and the good news that he brought to the world. And um, specifically, two of those Gospels share with us the birth narrative. One of them, of course, is found in the uh, Gospel of Matthew. The other one is found in the Gospel of Luke. So, for instance, um, when you go to uh, Matthew, Matthew actually starts his Gospel immediately by giving you the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ and shows you why he is from the Abrahamic lineage, meaning he is the seed that was talked about, of course, in Galatians. uh, uh, The Apostle Paul clarifies that the word seed that was used was singular, not plural. Therefore, Jesus is the fulfillment of that, and he made the case why. And the other thing, of course, is that he came from the line of David, meaning he is the king as well. Uh, Not only he is the son of the promise, but also he is from the royal line. And then he goes through the different uh, generations in there, 
And really, there is a deeper message behind that genealogy, and we'll get into that maybe at a later time. And then he finally get into the birth narrative, uh, the the dream uh, that came to Joseph, the uh, husband of Mary, the dream that Mary got also, and the uh, announcement of the birth, and uh, the naming of Jesus, and so on and so forth. Now, on the other hand, when we get to uh, Luke, Luke actually starts by giving us the birth narrative of John the Baptist first as the one that came to pave the way uh, for Christ. In, in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark starts immediately by uh, talking about uh, uh, John as the, uh, the one uh, voice in the wilderness that, that came to pave the way for the Lord and immediately dive into uh, the ministry of Christ. So each one of these Gospels gives you a different flavor, but when it comes to the birth narrative, uh, you see that in Luke, in chapter 1, starts with the birth narrative of John the Baptist, which, by the way, Muslims also believe that John the Baptist came to pave the way for Christ. And then Luke also, uh, starting from verse 26, talks about the birth of Christ, like, for instance, in Luke one twenty-six says, in the sixth month, meaning after the birth of John the Baptist, he's six months old already. In the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel uh, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed uh, betrothed, uh, to a man whose name was Joseph, meaning she was kind of like engaged, if you wish, but uh, the betrothal also uh, uh, involves more than just uh, being engaged. There is almost like a marriage that hasn't been consummated yet. And um, notice what it says, that uh, this man, Joseph, is of the house of David. And that's important, of course, because now we see uh, that the line of David in there. And then it says, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her, and said, and now the announcement of the birth. Greetings, O favored one, uh, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greetings this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Notice the announcement. Gabriel himself came and gave that announcement to Mary, clearly calling him Jesus. Matthew clarifies why he's called Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. And then Gabriel also confirmed that he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God, if you wish. In fact, in The Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verse 61, the high priest asked the Lord and says, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Most High? So, obviously, uh, the birth announcement, the birth narrative, included some powerful uh, things related to the person of Christ. First, his name is significant, Jesus, or Yeshua, or Yeshua, uh, that he uh, will—Lord is salvation, therefore— He is the agent of our salvation. That's why he will save his people from their sin. And second, he is equal to God, basically, equal to the Father. He is God. He's divine, simply because he's called the Son of the Most High. So his nature is divine nature, even though now he is going to be born. You see, a child is born, a son is given to us. Here is what's going on. The son preexisted. 
He is basically um, uh, eternal. And now the Son, uh, who is God, came into the world in the person of a child born of a woman, born under the law, as Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 will tell us, and as also the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 also prophesies. And then in verse uh, uh, 32, we continue here, and we're still in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. So he will be on the throne. If you go, of course, to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, you can see that this throne actually is an eternal throne. And it's also here is a fulfillment of the prophecy given to David in 2 Samuel chapter uh, uh, 2 Samuel 7, starting uh, basically from um, uh, verse uh, 10 all the way to 16. And verse 33 now, Luke 1, verse 33, and he will be, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Notice the forever thing here. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Once again, this is clearly stated to us also in the prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, when someone like the Son of Man was brought, uh, uh, coming on the clouds of heaven, was brought near to the Ancient of Days, that's the Father, and uh, he was given basically uh, power and dominion, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and so on and so forth, and people will worship him. So here is what we see, and what's the significant thing, by the way, that I want to emphasize here, is that the birth narrative emphasizes to us that the angel Gabriel himself, who, by the way, the angel Gabriel, who appeared to the father of, uh, uh, the father of uh, John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah, he told him that I am the archangel Gabriel who stands before the throne of God. Not just any angel here. We're talking about an angel that is in the presence of God before the throne of God that gave that birth narrative. Now, why, why is that um, significant, by the way? What, what, what is the point behind what I'm trying uh, to share here with you? Well, it is uh, kind of important simply because um, the Quran, by the way, does give us an idea about the birth narrative in chapter 19 of the Quran. And it's almost like, um, almost identical. I don't want to say it's exactly the same, but almost identical when it comes to first uh, talking about the birth of John the Baptist and the fact that his mom was a barren woman and that he appeared, uh, the angel appeared to Zechariah and shared that with him. And then um, we get basically to the birth narrative of our Lord Jesus Christ, starting in verse 16. This is chapter 19 of the Quran, verse 16, where it says this, And mention in the book of Mary, or the book, uh, in the book of Mary, basically, uh, when she withdrew from her family to a place toward the east, meaning she isolated herself, and then in verse 17, it says, And she took in seclusion from them a screen, meaning she basically protected herself and isolated herself in privacy. Then we sent to her our angel, and he represented himself to her as a well-proportioned man. So he appeared to her as a person. Which angel is this? Of course, commentators will say this is the angel Gabriel. And she said, Indeed, I seek refuge in the most merciful from you. 
So leave me if you should be fearing of Allah, meaning leave me alone. Uh, you're a man, you know, I'm by myself. Uh, I don't want people to talk about me as if they see me with a man. That's, that's her concern. Look at the announcement now. The angel says, he says, I am only the messenger of your Lord. I'm the only the messenger of God, the only the messenger of Allah, okay? To give you news of a pure boy. Now, this is very significant. The word pure here is translation of the word zakiyah in Arabic, which means sinless, perfect, righteous. Jesus is the only one that was mentioned in the Quran as someone who is born sinless. And in fact, the traditions of the Prophet of Islam also confirms that he remained sinless and he's still sinless. Why is that significant? Well, because Islam teaches actually that people are born sinless, but they commit sins. But Jesus is the only one who was born sinless and remained sinless. Confirming, by the way, the teaching of the scripture that Jesus was sinless and he is our perfect sacrifice. And also, none of the other prophets, including the Prophet of Muhammad, uh, Islam, was called a sinless person in the Quran itself. Here's another significant thing. The Quran only talks about the birth narrative of John the Baptist, the birth narrative of Moses, the birth narrative, for instance, of Ishmael and Isaac, but and Jesus, of course, but never talks about the birth narrative of Muhammad himself. That's kind of puzzling, actually. And then we move on to verse 20 in chapter 19 of the Quran. It says, she, Mary, is talking to the angel now. How can I have a boy while no man has touched me and I have not been unchasting? Meaning I haven't committed any sin or adultery, basically. And in verse 21, the angel says, Thus it will be. Your Lord says, It is easy for me, and we will make him a sign to the people and mercy from us. He will be a sign, and just like basically uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 7, verse 14, that uh, the virgin birth is a sign, and he will be mercy. He will be a good news, great good news, grace from God given to mankind. And it is a matter that is decreed. But, but did you catch what, what the angel is saying? That it is easy for God to do this. It is so easy. Yet my Muslim friends always point out to the fact, how can God appear as a man? The Quran itself says it is easy for God to do something like this. I'm not so sure what the problem is, but unfortunately it's always being misled by so-called clerks who like just to give their own misleading interpretations. And then the story continues here in the Quran and talks about the birth and what she went through. And then it moves on to uh, basically after his birth and many of the things that he was able to do. And uh, in a little bit, I will share with you about some of those things that Jesus was able to do according to the Quran. But before we do this, let's visit once again. Who is this Jesus in Islam? We start with his name. In the Bible, the English translation says his name is Jesus, which is Yahweh is salvation, Yeshua. Yahweh basically is salvation. That's what it means, meaning that God is Savior, a Redeemer. Okay? And uh, it's very interesting, by the way, for us to notice that the name of Jesus is meaningful. Yet in Islam, his name is Isa, and no one till this day actually have a definite 
explanation from both camps, the Muslim camp and the scholarly camp. Why is the name Isa giving to Jesus? There are theories out there, by the way. One of the theories, it could be that uh, Muslims at the time of Muhammad or at the time when the Quran was being written, they misunderstood the uh, basically the Greek pronunciation of the word Jesus, which is Iso or Jesus. Okay, so it could be that uh, it was heard as if it's Isa. Okay, the other problem, and it's really interesting uh, problem, if indeed that was the cause behind it, is that if you recall in the New Testament, we have also the book of James. And James is known to be the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And James, by the way, in Arabic, is Jacob. In Arabic, it's the same way you say Jacob, Yaqub, basically. Okay? Now, why is that important? You remember, in Old Testament, Jacob has a brother. His name is Esau. You see what's going on? Some suggested that it could have been a misunderstanding and uh, um, some of the Muslims or the Arabs around the Jewish communities at the time of the rise of Islam or the emergence of Islam, they too misunderstood that our Lord and his brother Jacob are different than Jacob and Esau. And that's where we get the name Esau. Now, interesting theories, but uh, like I said, I cannot really confirm or deny uh, uh, the jury's still out there talking about those kind of things. So, uh, the name is different. That's one thing. Second of all, and that's even more significant, Islam claims that it is in the same line of faith and religions as Judaism and Christianity, uh, but it is the final religion that came after the um, basically Christianity, and Christianity technically came to uh, continue Judaism and supersede some of its teaching, and now Islam came to continue and supersede both of these religions. But somehow, Islam is the only religion that is universal, and it's the last religion, r- last message. So anything taught in Islam and its sources, primary sources, the Quran, which is the word of Allah, and the Hadith, the words of Muhammad, had to be followed now. And of course, that's why it's important for us to figure out what does the Quran teach actually about Jesus? And what does the Hadith, the saying of Muhammad, teach also about Jesus? Now, in the Quran, it says that Abraham was not a Jew or a Christian, but he was just uh, someone who was called a monotheist, a Muslim, a submitter to God who worshipped one God. So it's making a distinction between the Jews and the Christian, as if Abraham basically was different than the Christians or the Jews. Yet, Islam also admits that it's Abraham who is the source for both Judaism and Christianity in terms of the connection between Isaac and Ishmael. Now, so it is Muslims, basically, and not Christians or Jews who are the true representatives of the Abrahamic faith. That's at least what the teaching of the Quran is, as we read, for instance, in chapter 2 of the Quran, verse 135. Also, Jesus is one of the many prophets listed in the Quran, 25 of them by name, but the Quran talks about prophets in general. The Hadith talks about 240,000, and some will say 314,000 prophets throughout the history of mankind. Nevertheless, 
Jesus was mentioned in uh, along the line of those prophets, but he was mentioned as Esau. Example of that you can find in chapter 42 of the Quran, verse 13. You know, many of those uh, prophets of the past received the one religion of Islam. And who were these previous prophets? In other words, all of these prophets, including Jesus, were just prophets of Islam. They were just sent to their people of their time, and they were sharing portions of Islam until the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, came into the scene. And finally, the full picture of Islam and the final Big Bang, if you wish, was revealed to us. The Muslim Jesus, or Isa, uh, two main sources uh, teach us about him, the Quran and the collections of the Hadith traditions of the Prophet of Islam. So when it comes to the Quran, that's supposedly the word of the God of Islam. What does the Quran teach us about who Isa is or who Jesus is? First, it teaches that he was a human being that was just created like anybody else. And I'll share the reference in a little bit. But he was a prophet. And he's one of the prophets of Islam or the Abrahamic prophets. So Jesus' true name, according to the Quran, was Isa. And his message was pure Islamic message, surrender to Allah. As we read in chapter 3, verse 84, like all the other Muslim prophets before him. And also like the prophet of Islam, Muhammad, after him. He was a lawgiver, and therefore the Christians should really submit to his law, as we read in chapter 3, verse 50, and chapter 5, verse 48. He was also, uh, he has disciples, and those original disciples were also true Muslims, because they said, according to the Quran in chapter 5, verse 111, we believe, bear witness that we have surrendered we are Muslims. That's what it says. Jesus also, according to the Quran, received a book. In other words, Jesus himself had a book that he delivered a message from. What is that book called? It's called the Injil. Singular. What is Injil? It's like gospel, but singular gospel, not four gospels. By the way, Muslims think that the fact that we have four gospels, this is a corruption of the Bible because the Quran says it's only one gospel. Well, let me clarify. It is one gospel. It's only one good news. But those four gospels that we have, actually, they're translated in the Greek. It says the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. These are four eyewitness accounts of the same gospel. So we have one gospel, four eyewitness accounts. I find it more powerful to have more eyewitness account to Jesus and the gospel than to have one gospel that supposedly Jesus himself brought. Well, how can Jesus bring a book about himself? The gospels are an account about him, his life, his birth, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and all of the things and the miracles that he did. But the Quran says that's not the case, that Jesus actually uh, has a book, and that's why the Christians are called the people of the book. Well, I am approaching the end of this show, but all I'm doing right now is just giving you a background about the Islamic understanding of who Jesus is. Next week, we will continue to build upon this background 
to be able to understand who Jesus is according to the teaching of Islam. And then we will get into possibly some of the objections that Muslims raise about Jesus. And in future episodes, we'll begin to try to address some of those common objections. Hopefully, uh, you, uh, we will find this uh, particular episode and this particular series about our Lord Jesus Christ to be helpful. Of course, the timing is perfect for it, simply because we are in Christmas time. And we need to really understand how Muslims view Jesus and why maybe some Muslims will be hesitant to accept some of the things that we'll be sharing with them about the beauty of who Jesus is and the meaning behind Christmas. So hopefully this will help you in your outreach to your Muslim friends and Muslim colleagues and Muslim neighbors and others that you'll be reaching out to. Until we meet next week, thank you again for listening to us. This is Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al-Fadi, and you can always visit us at my new website, sirainternational.com, C-I-R-A, International, sirainternationalworldwar.com, and you can always go and listen to the archive show and watch many of our videos on these topics. Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.